Let's just jump right into Mark chapter 7. I'll read the first eight verses. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, so this is another like investigative committee of Jesus, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men. I'll stop there for a minute. So there's a contrast here between the traditions of the elders and the commandment of God. Okay. Um, anybody know how many commandments there were in the in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture? Six hundred forty. Six hundred thirteen. Six thirteen. Bing bing bing. That's good. Or seminary dropout. I was going to say ten. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, but if you had to summarize the 613 commands and kind of put them into 10 categories, you'd get what? Ten commandments. The 10 commandments, yeah. So if you kind of look at the, the structure, especially Deuteronomy, it's like you've got the 10 commandments first, and then it kind of expounds on, here's some different cases and how you might live these out, right? Um, so the 10, or the 613 can be narrowed down to the 10. If you wanted to take the 10 commandments and summarize those... What would you get? Love the Lord love your God. God. Call your heart soul. Two. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yourself. Yeah. You, you'd get, um, like I'll read from Matthew 22. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is in Matthew 22. This is the great and first commandment, Jesus says. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So basically, everything that you read in your laws, Israel, all of that can be summed up in those two commands. As if 613 commands wasn't enough, uh, there was also the oral Torah, the oral <coughs> law, um, which was the what the elders of Israel developed over time, which was further kind of stipulations to those 10 or 613 commands. Uh, later in, I think, the second century AD, that becomes what's called the Mishnah, and then a century later, that becomes the Talmud, and that's still like a used document by Jews today. So the purpose of the additional, like the stuff that they add on, these additional Mishnah or Mishnayot, was to be, many of you know this, but it was to be kind of like a fence around the actual commands of God. So if God said, don't do this, then in order to make sure that I don't do that, I'm going to add a few things around that to protect myself from even getting close to that. If I'm not supposed to touch that, God says, then I'm going to write a rule that I shouldn't be within 10 feet of that or whatever. So it was just these additional stipulations. Um, a couple of 
just uh, examples of that. The, the law, the written law, you know we're supposed to uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy and you don't do any work on the Sabbath day. So the, the Mishnah or this oral tradition came up with, here are 39, I think Austin may have mentioned this when he was teaching, there, there are 39 different ways that you are not allowed to work on the Sabbath. You, you can do this, you can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this. And so they'd line these out to make sure that the Sabbath was not broken. Um, or there was a law from God in the written law that when you eat and are satisfied, you should give thanks to God. And so later the, the elders, the leaders of Israel come up with, well, if we're supposed to give thanks to the God, let's make sure we do that right. And so they come up with a specific prayer. Like here are the specific words that you should use if you're eating, giving thanks. And you should say, Amma Adonai, and blah, you know, whatever the Hebrew prayer is. And it was prescribed. All of this just an effort to make certain that the, the law of God would not be broken um, or even come close to being broken. So the hand washing that we read about in Mark 7 is uh, one of those um, oral laws that had become tradition. Probably it was started with um, in, in Exodus when the priests were supposed to wash their hands and their feet in this bronze basin before they were offering to the Lord. Eventually, all the people of Israel start to adopt these cleanings. If I'm going to offering to the, make an offering to the Lord in my morning prayers, then I should wash my hands first. And if I'm going to eat bread, then I should wash my hands first. So they add this uh, in there, and it wasn't just the priests that were to do this, like God actually had prescribed, but it was going to be everybody that joined into that, just to make sure everybody's cool and doesn't break any of the laws of God. We just kind of saw in our Passover Seder on Friday um, this the hand washing, right? Before we ate the bread the, of matzah, we were going to, we washed each other's hands. And I remember thinking to myself, like we were trying to figure out, Clayton was like, well, how are we supposed to do this? And he was asking our friend Jake here, like, how 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 does this go down? And, and I thought that Jake was being like overly specific and well, you kind of hold your hand like this and you pour the water. I, th I was like, like, surely he's making this stuff up. But like, I looked it up and no, there are very, very specific ways even, like you don't just read, okay, now we wash our hands. There are very specific ways that you're to do that. I'm gonna show you just a little video that I found on YouTube of a rabbi saying, here's how you wash your hands if you're about to eat bread. And um, I, if you're watching or listening to the podcast, you won't be able to watch this because I don't own this, but um, it's um, pretty interesting. And verse 4 said, so this, that's the idea. I don't know how much it's changed. There's different versions of that. Um, some people do three times. Some people, some people are more specific, like start with the water in your left hand and then pass the cup to your right hand. And some people say you have to have two handles on the cup. And I mean, it's, it goes on and on. Uh, verse 4 says, there are many other traditions they observe, the Pharisees and Jews, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and this and this and this and this. And so there's lots of rules to follow on top of the commands that are expressly given to us in, in the scriptures. So why did they want to create and follow all of these rules? Let me ask you first, are are these traditions, or traditions like these, are they wrong? No. Hopefully not, because we did some of them on Friday, right? We probably did them incorrectly. Um, it's good to, I'd say, keep the commandments of God, 
And it's good even, I think, if you have the heart of, man, I want to be especially careful to honor God with what I do. And so I'm going to put some guidelines in my life to make sure that I'm especially just careful to obey the Lord. Like, I think you can have a really good heart in that. Um, some cool things about the washing of the hands. It's, it's, it was the priests that were called to do these washings in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you can think, well, there's, we, we know this, the priesthood of all believers. We're all like priests. And so maybe it reminds me as I wash my hands of my priestly duties. Or um, maybe it would be good to wash our hands in, in a similar manner because um, we can see, hey, nothing, everything that we do has, has a sacred component to it. Like we could honor God even in the very little things that we do. And so there's, it's not necessarily bad, the traditions in themselves. But, but what is the possible bad or some of the possible bad outcomes of traditions as such? What are some of those things that y'all can think of? They become more important than people or the principle. Okay. So there's probably, with, with the commandments of God, there's probably principles behind all of those. Some of, maybe we know, some we don't. But, but yeah, the... the Getting everything exactly right may become more important than relationships or actual more important things. Yeah. It makes it into religiosity. Mm-hmm. It's like this: you have to meet these standards yeah. in order to be accepted by God or by the community or whatever. Right. So it could become a workspace like God will accept me as long as I do all of these things right, which... Well, I mean, I guess if you did every one of the 613 laws right and you never had sinned, then God would accept you on that basis. But this is um, obviously impossible. What are you saying? Yeah, it's like those rituals were given as a gift, or or at least the laws in the Bible were given as a gift by God. So they were good to make us pure and holy, but they're now, but they're voided because they were never intended to make us actually pure and holy. They were meant to symbolize those things. So then with Jesus, it doesn't, there's no need for those things anymore. Yeah. Um, we don't need, they can serve as a reminder, but, but the danger is mistaking a purity ritual, washing your hands as actually having pure hands when Jesus is what makes sure you're, the things you do with your hands, pure your work. Yeah, not washing your hands. Totally. So, like, you there's the potential of making something that is material into something that's all important, where it's it's morally or spiritually what's happening that's the more important thing. That all of those things are meant to point to, whether it's an actual command of God or whether it's something that's been added to that. Like, hopefully, there's those are all meant to point to a spiritual reality that now, as believers, this side of the cross, we know that only Jesus can purify us, but um, yeah, what what is um, what gets left out when you are just focus, focus, focus on the rules? Yeah, grace. Relationship. Mm-hmm. And the heart, like the, the maybe that's what kind of what you're saying, Austin, or the, the heart behind what you're doing we miss out on. Isn't that what, what God wants from us, is our heart's devotion to him, not us to do exactly all of the right things. So in verse 6, uh, we read, uh, Jesus says, this people, the, the Jews, the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the problem with these traditions. It's okay that they may do some of these things, but <coughs> the problem is their heart is far from me. So 
Um, a couple of real life examples of this. Uh, we eat, oftentimes we pray before we eat, right? We bow our head and close our eyes and we say blessing for the meal. And there's some biblical kind of roots in that. Um, I don't, it doesn't seem to be something that's absolutely required that Christians do this now, but um, there was a time I remember that Mary Beth and I were praying, not one specific instance, but years ago, that we were like, we pray every time before we eat because that's the tradition that we know, but it had entirely lost its meaning. Like, we, there was no heart to it. There thanks, the thankfulness wasn't really there. We were just kind of going through the routine of, God, would you bless this food, and whatever your kind of standard prayer for the food is, right? Have you guys ever done that? Like, actually had a meaningless prayer because it was part of the tradition? Um, never? Okay. <laughs> um, just confessing here. So... Obviously, that prayer before the food is a good idea, and if it's done with the right heart, there's a, it's a, there's a good point to it, but um, but after years and years of doing that and growing up my whole life doing that, it kind of lost some of its heart. Now, and we've decided I, since then that oftentimes we'll pray before we eat again, and, but we have to really consciously think, hey, am I, am I really thankful? Has God really provided this? Has he really provided all things? Just put have it actually contain some meaning. Um, We've, uh, maybe you've asked the question before, how often do I have to come to church gatherings? Or how often do I have to read my Bible? Um, and we um, ask uh, these, we, we kind of want sometimes specifics. So like, I remember as a church, we had a discussion a couple of years ago about coming to the church gatherings. And I remember us kind of asking, well, should that does that need to be 80% of the time? Like, what if I miss once a month? Or what if I have a family emergency? Or what if it's half of the time? Like, is that good enough? And um, the, the problem is that those questions demolish the purpose of the command of, say, Hebrews 10.25, not to neglect this assembly together with believers. Um, it, it, that's, it's given, the command is given for our good, and so that we would edify each other up and stir each other up to good works, but when we start going too much into the specifics of what that needs to look like, then it completely can remove the heart out of it, right? And instead of obeying God's commands because we love God and because we trust His ways, we want to make up rules so that we don't have to. We just want to step through the hoops that we need to step through. And I think God would want to point out to us there's a, there's a purpose behind these commands. There's a heart behind what I tell you you ought to be doing, and it's not just box checking. Okay, so is the, are the commands themselves important? Yeah, they're important. They're God's word. But we don't necessarily need to make up more commands. This needs to happen this often because we might fall into your honoring me with your lips or the things that you do or the things that come out of you or these physical things, but your heart is still far from me. Same thing with how I, I remember having a conversation with somebody, how often, like, I want to follow God. I want to, I read in the Psalms that, the, that I should be into God's word day and night. You see some of these things come up. Well, how much is that? Just tell me how much it is. And there's a good heart behind it. Tell me how much I'm supposed to do that. Um, it, it can be a good heart. Like, I really want to follow God. I want to do what he says. But when you start lining those things out, um, the heart can kind of fade into the background. And the more we don't have to love God and do those things because we love him, but the more we're just obeying his rules. Um, 
by the way, uh, side note, I think that God graciously gives us his commands um, and graciously gave Israel even sometimes seemingly kind of arbitrary commands. He does it for our good. Like he actually wants what's what's good for us, firstly, and then he gives us his commands as a way for us to express our love for God. So Clayton quotes this verse a lot. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you're thinking, man, God has been so good to me and his love is so great for me and I just his, his forgiveness and everything, all this love that I've received from him, what could I do to express my thanks to the Lord? Well, you can you could keep his commands, those things that he's given to us to follow, do what he says. Um, if you want to create some additional kind of guidelines to help you keep those commands, I think that's fine. That's great. Don't call them doctrine like, we're, like we read here, but they might be a helpful kind of tradition. For example, um, there was years ago, as an adult, I had decided, hey, I'm not going to watch movies that are of a particular rating. I'm like, I'm not going to watch rated R or over movies. Um, where did I get that? Well, I get that because I can see in Scripture, do not commit adultery. Um, adultery isn't just something that I actually commit physically, but adultery is something that happens in my heart or is able to happen in my heart when I lust after somebody. Um, so my connection was a lot of rated R movies. Maybe there's some stuff that I don't want to see in those things. And so I create, and, and plus all the commands in Scripture to flee from sexual immorality. These things, right? Amen. So, so I create, I, I created at the time a, a, a kind of a, a safeguard and a wisdom. I think I chose, hopefully, um, that this was this was kind of a boundary I was going to set. Now you could call that Mishnah, like some additional commands being added on. But I think as long as that's not, as long as you're not calling that doctrine and making other people uh, submit to the requirements that you've given yourself, maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's good. Um, if, if it's a tradition that you're forming to help you love God with all of your heart, then then do that. Just don't call it binding. Okay. I think a really important. And we're going to get back to the scripture here in a sec. Um, a really important thing for young people to hear. I don't know if I'm included in that anymore. Um, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, is <laughs> we need to hear sometimes that tradition is not bad. <coughs> it's only bad if it kills the heart. Okay. If you notice the rabbi on the video, it's a four and a half minute video all of these specific stipulations that I watched the hands. At the very end of that, he says, and, oh, and we need to remember that we don't just wash to have clean hands, but we also want to have a pure heart before God. Okay, and then he th thanks for whoever made the video. So, so he got that in right there at the end, but I'm thinking, like, with, with that much detail and that much control over what needs to be done, it would be really easy to slip into keeping the rules and forgetting what those things maybe to a Jew would symbolize. Um, there's a point, I think, oftentimes when tradition kills the hearts of God's command, commands, and at some point need to be ditched. So, um, and be careful as you apply that. Uh, 
I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example of why. So you guys know, um, like, crabs, sea, sea crabs, or um, any type of crab, I think, or any type of anthropod, is that what they're called? These, these anything that has um, an, an exoskeleton, like a, a crab, um, go through a molting process. So in, snakes shed their skin, crabs shed their shells, okay? And, and, and a bunch of kind of the outer shell of their body, they shed their exoskeleton. Um, if you look up online sometime, blue-shelled crabs, just to pick one, it's super interesting to watch this process. So they have this hard shell, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one day, they, they in order to grow, they start to crack out of their outer shell, their kind of top shell, and this new shell starts to kind of pop up and out of it, and they slowly like pull themselves out of that old shell and, and literally pull their legs and most of their body parts out from kind of this exoskeleton into this new crab that looks kind of like the old crab, but now it's got a new shell and a new skeleton, and it leaves some of its things behind. It leaves like a little piece of its intestine and some of its lungs, but it takes its eyeballs and it literally like pulls its, the inner parts of its legs out and it, it becomes new legs. It's super interesting. You should watch it sometime. Um, but, and, and this happens several times in the life of, of a crab. So um, for the first day or so in this new body, the new shell is very soft. It's not hard, and it takes um, the salt water, different things to harden over the course of a day or two to where that, that new shell then becomes hard. So in, in that short time of just after the molting, that crab is extremely vulnerable to attack. It literally cannot protect itself unless it can just kind of hide under something. And its, its shell is, is complete, like it can just be punctured by uh, whatever eats crabs. Okay? Um, tradition, here's my point, like a hard shell of a crab can provide safety. It's good and protection. It protects against vulnerability. But sometimes, in order to grow, the tradition has to be shed uh, to move on to a new form of growth. The tradition, okay? Don't get that confused tonight when I say tradition versus when I say commands, like the commands of God, okay? We don't just kind of shed those off as we please as we grow. Um, so how are the Pharisees then using their traditions and this interaction with Jesus? It, it might seem kind of like a simple question. They're like, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands? All of the Jews, we all wash our hands, so why aren't your disciples washing? But Jesus doesn't seem to be too keen on what's going on in their hearts and their questions. He says, you hypocrites. So why maybe, or how maybe were these Pharisees using that tradition wrongly? What might have been going on in their hearts um, that Jesus was calling them hypocrites and kind of rebuking them and what they're asking? Does it have something to do with how they um like praying in front of open windows so that everybody could see them, like kind of like a showy type of thing. Yeah, for sure. That's one of those things we see a number of times in the gospel. <coughs> Pharisees specifically is they do all of their acts externally 
so that they can be seen, which would include like a washing of the hands or something. And it's all for the purpose of they want people to see them. They want people to see their, their holiness. Instead of, get this, instead of like these things probably like washing your hands before eating are, are, are meant to, like the washing of the Old Testament, are meant to kind of point to the holiness of God and the purity that we have as we come before him. Instead of pointing to God's holiness, they're pointing to their own holiness and saying, hey, check this out, look, look what I'm doing. But I think that's right. Charles, like, uh, outwardly you appear righteous, <coughs> tells the Pharisees in another passage. You're like whitewashed tombs, and he uses these examples, but you're like, you're dead inside, but you look good on the outside. I think that's right. They wanted to look good, and they wanted people to know it, and so they were using these traditions as to, for their own advantage. They totally removed love from because you're supposed to love your neighbor and they just did everything for themselves they didn't help anyone else and it just became this like regimen instead mm -hmm. of actually like this loving part of their life mm -hmm. they were just so calloused yeah like, yeah they would actually we'll see uh, in the next little section they actually could could use traditions in order to take advantage of other people. And it, yeah, it's like that's if if the heart if you could summarize the commands of God into the one of love the Lord your God and love the, your neighbor as yourself, that can't be as we're doing these other commands or these traditions that can't if we're missing love then certainly we're missing it. Yeah. I think so. And that I mean like what in verse seven, but it's they're teaching them as authority. Like you're saying not to do that they are Teaching these commandments or traditions as if they are commandments for vanity, but yeah. Yeah. So there's some kind of an a, a power struggle going on. Um, that's right. There, there's two ways I'll point out that that's the case. Um, first of all, if you look at verse five, is is the Pharisees' concern for the disciples? Like, disciples, you shouldn't really do that. It's not right for you to eat with unclean hands. What's, what do they seem to be more concerned about? Verse well, 5. I don't think it's for disaster. It's so that they can be the boss, right? So that they can have control over. I don't yeah. think they care about what. I just think that they want everybody to fall under, under them. Yeah. You're... Forget the I mean, washing of hands, fine, but you're breaking the traditions of the elders. You're not doing what what yeah. us and our fathers have said yeah. to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the the Pharisees, in some ways, seem to be using some of these these rituals and these um, commands and these um, traditions in order to maintain power over people. Um, and then. Another thing you notice if you look at it, or I notice in verse 5, it says the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? Now, I assume that Jesus is also eating with unwashed hands. They point out his disciples, but um, there's a Luke 11 passage where Jesus is actually, he is eating with unwashed hands, so that probably is the case here too. But their accusation is, why are your disciples doing this? It's kind of like um, when we were looking at Mark chapter 2, the disciples are, are plucking grain, is it? And the Pharisees see that, and they say, hey, look at what they are doing. What your disciples are doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. 
or just before that, um, it's like John's disciples fast, the Pharisees' disciples fast, but Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And it's, it's it, your disciples are doing this, your disciples are doing this, and either, either what's going on there is um, maybe, they're, maybe they're sissies and they don't want to direct, directly confront Jesus, maybe they're too afraid to say that, or better, um, maybe they're concerned with the influence that Jesus was having on uh, other people. And, and you see this power struggle start to come. You're, gonna, you're not following the traditions of the elders, but your disciples are actually now following you. And so people are following you, Jesus, and they're not following us. And that affects their authority, and they want to maintain control. And remember... Um, just in, in essence what they're saying is that this is what we say you must do and when people are not doing that Jesus' disciples it, it flusters the Pharisees and um, the bottom line is the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to be Lord or in authority they themselves wanted to maintain that so just a, a couple things I want you to remember because I'm going to bring them up right at the end the Pharisees' heart behind their traditions, or where they, where they get it wrong. The traditions that may, many of them have good starting reasons, but the Pharisees' heart behind their traditions was certainly at least these couple things. First, like Charles said, they want everybody to know that they are clean, undefiled, righteous, whatever. They want everybody to see that. And two, they want to be Lord themselves, not Jesus. That's kind of what's going on in their heart. They want everybody to see that they're doing the right things. They're clean in front of everybody. They wash their hands and do these things and others. And they don't like the authority Jesus is having because it is affecting the authority that they want. But that's what they say. Even they go, when, they, when they try to question him, they said, on what authority? Mm. Like, what, yeah. like what makes you better than what we're Yep. What authority do you have? And you see the authority struggle over and over again. And um, by the end of the book, there's finally an acknowledgement by some that, oh, he's the son of God, and he has the authority to say these things. Um, look at verse 8 before we move on. Uh, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Why do you think it says the commandment of God? It, it's a singular word, unless you have NIV, which the, the Greek word is plural, or I'm sorry, singular for that commandment. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. What do you think the commandment of God is? Love the Lord or love people. Yeah, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, probably, and Jesus is kind of cutting right to the very overarching purpose of the law. The, the commandment of God is meant is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength. And the commandments of men really are just kind of increasing love for ourselves as we kind of create those things. So it's, it's the, the traditions of men, as I said at the beginning, the traditions of the elders versus the, the commandments of God or even the, the heart of those commandments of God, which is the commandment of God, the great commandment um, of loving the Lord and loving our neighbors. Next, uh, we see the Pharisees using their traditions, as I said, uh, to oppress 
other people. In verse 9, he said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Okay, we know that, Exodus 20, 12. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Exodus 21, 17. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me, or whatever I could do for you financially and inheritance, is Corban, he explains, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Okay, let me just explain real quick. Corban, um, so, so the law, we can read in the Old Testament, even in the New, um, requires that kids honor their parents, right? Um, but some people, over the course of time, don't want to honor their parents. Imagine that. Um, it, and even as adults, right, we, we don't necessarily want to honor our parents sometimes, at, at times, maybe some more than others. Um, so they make a loophole in, in kind of the commandment, they make a tradition that if you use this particular terminology, Corbin, and you say that all of your possessions or all of what you have for the future are committed, are devoted to God, then it could get you out of your responsibility to honor your parents, probably, and take, take care of them in their old age, okay? And, and then they would point to another command, hey, we're supposed to keep our word, and my word was I'm going to give my stuff to God, and so I can't go against that command, so unfortunately I can't keep this other command anymore. So you see what they're doing, they're just trying to kind of make a loophole in the system, and they're even using the commandments of God, they're, they're using his law even to kind of try to contradict itself, really, so they can get what they want, and really they don't have to do whatever they had felt responsible before to do for their parents. So um, they use one command to nullify another. This is a, a really kind of classic case of um, following the letter of the law versus the heart of the law, like kind of the Isaiah reference that said, your heart's far from me. Your lips, yeah, you, you say the right things, but your heart is far from me. You're, yes, you're right, you said that you've committed all of your things to the Lord, but no, you're not right in transgressing this other commandment, and you've just done that because your heart is wicked, not because you're trying to love the Lord with all your heart. So the Pharisees want to use the law to do what is convenient for them, which is a retirement plan, instead of caring for those in need. And so they make this Corbin tradition to make it appear right, okay? By the way, I, it's a little vague in the studies that I did, but it, it was kind of like when you made this announcement, Corbin, it, it was like, um, it, it, it was a vague way of saying what you're going to do with your money. So really, you could probably turn that around eventually and use it for yourself if you wanted to. Um, but at least you didn't have to you know, give it to your parents or help them out. So. Um, is there anything wrong with making a commitment to the Lord that I'm going to use my resources for you? 
probably not anything wrong with that. But where they went wrong is that their heart was far from God, and they were creating this so that they wouldn't have to do another command, and uh, worse yet, so that they wouldn't have to love. And it says, many such things they did, Jesus tells them. All right, verse 14. He called the people to him again and said to them, now he's just talking to the, the crowd, hear me all of you and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus is going to return back to this kind of hand-washing scenario and what makes us clean and unclean. Verse 17, When he entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, or goes into the latrine, or toilet. You poop it out. A little biology lesson. <laughs> it doesn't go into your heart, it goes into your intestines and stomach and all that. It says, thus he declared all foods clean. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. These are what come out of the heart. This is what defiles people. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. <coughs> At least one of those you have experienced before in your own heart. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person, Jesus says. This is an important um, passage that tells us about the root of sin and how sin is not external, externally attacking us, but sin lies within the heart. Um, I remember my friend Christian he, there was this one, I don't remember if it was a children's video or if it was a, a children's book or something, but he, he loved it, he was promoting it, maybe it was a Bible project video. He said, the only thing that I don't like is when Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and they sin, how it depicts sin is these little like creatures that kind of cling on to Adam and Eve, the sin that's external to them, and turn, it's this little purple sea anemone looking creature, and it kind of just attaches onto them. And I remember Christian said, I, just, I, don't, I don't like what that teaches because that teaches that sin is something that just kind of exists outside of me and attacks me. Now that might be Satan, that might be Satan's demons, that very much be, might be depicting what they do. Um, but sin, as Jesus is pointing out here, is something that comes out of our heart. So that we don't get dirty from something that is outside of us but our heart is deceitful and, what's Jeremiah say? <coughs> Incredibly wicked or something along those lines. The Pharisees assume that they have this kind of initial state of purity unless they touch something unclean or they don't wash their hands or they eat the wrong foods, then they're defiled, they think. Jesus assumes of people that there is an internal defilement already that pre-exists even without some kind of outside pollutant coming in. 
and it's a spiritual defilement. It's not just some physical thing that is entering their body. So sin doesn't happen to you, it's in you, okay? Um, he even goes so far here, very interesting, to, to change the law that was written for Israel. Now this is Jesus doing this, okay? Jesus can do this kind of thing. And he says, look, even what you eat doesn't defile you. So the Israelites couldn't eat pork and shellfish and, and bloody meat. Those were restricted, and they were restricted, I would say, for good reason. God actually gives those commands for good reason. I don't think anybody says, yeah, we should eat pork all the time. Uh, that's a healthy thing. Um, but he says, look, you can eat those because it's not <coughs> material purity that is the goal, but it's moral purity. Like, you're going to eat that stuff, and eventually it's going to exit your body. You're going to crap it out, and it... it He's, he's de-emphasizing kind of this prior commandment that the Israelites had. And so just go with me on this for a second. Jesus is saying that, that the commandments themselves aren't actually the most important thing. Obedience to those commandments is what God wants because obedience is something that it's, it's a decision of our heart, right? Am I going to obey or am I not going to obey? So Jesus kind of takes the, the physical material thing of food and washing of hands and these things. He takes that physical thing kind of out of the equation. He's saying it's not even about the food. The kingdom of God, Paul says, is not a matter of eating and drinking. One commentator said a Jew who ate unclean food was not defiled by the food, but by his disobeying God's commands. You guys see the difference? And it's not the food that's defiling. It's actually my disobedience that's defiling. It's like... The, the first sin in the Garden of Eden, um, as, as it's referred back to uh, in, in the New Testament, that, that first sin is not all about eating this piece of fruit. That first sin is a person's, Adam and Eve's heart, that has turned against God and is, is being disobedient to God and is rejecting God. That's, that's the sin that actually um, is taking place. So, you guys understand what I'm saying? The the physical molecules of pork and shellfish don't actually affect us spiritually. Um, but our disobedience does. So, did eating pork defile an Israelite? Well, yes, but not because of the pork itself, but because of their disobedience to the Lord, if that makes sense. So, um, in all of the Old Testament and New Testament commands, the kind of short-sighted view of them is that they are arbitrary rules that help keep me from letting sin kind of affect me from the outside. But the proper view is seeing those as an opportunity, seeing the commands as an opportunity to have a right heart before the Lord that says, God, I want to be obedient to you because I love you. Mm-hmm. Which is the, the summary of all the commands, love the Lord your God. So, the Pharisees, many of the Jews of the day, had completely missed the point of the commandments, and they twisted them, and they added to them, and they created loopholes so that though they did all the right things externally, and then some, their hearts could remain wicked, doing whatever they want. So so three things, and then um, we'll read the last little bit. Here, here's, here's what was going on with Pharisees' hearts. They wanted to look good 
we said. And they wanted everybody around them to know they're clean because they're doing these physical things. They wanted to somehow use laws and traditions to maintain authority over the lives of other people and not submit to Jesus as Lord. And they wanted to justify it in the example of the parents and not honoring them. They wanted to justify their actions of oppressing those who are in need or not caring for them so that they could keep for themselves. So this is all the ways that their tradition and their interpretations of the law failed to create in them a right heart that God really wants. Now I just want to um, end by reading the last couple of miracles in the chapter, and we're not going to go into much detail of these at all. Um, but here's why I think that Mark placed these here. I kind of struggled with maybe seeing the connection. The beginning of chapter 8 kind of starts a new thing, it seems. Um, but I think what's going on here is, as the Pharisees had demonstrated a wrong heart in their approach to Jesus and his commands, here we're going to read in these miracles two demonstrations of a right heart. Okay? Verse 24. <laughs> From there, he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is outside of Israel. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Jesus is pretty famous, so people hear about him all over the place. Verse 26. Now, a wo the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Hard passage. Um, Jesus seems like a big jerk for a little bit in this one. Um, a couple of just brief things to explain in it. One, this woman was the low person of society on the totem pole, especially to an Israelite. She's a woman, a woman who at the time is, is considered just less of a person than a man. Um, she was a Gentile, which to the Jews was less than a Jew. She was a Syrophoenician, which was a particular type of uh, person from Assyria. And I don't remember what the combination is. Um, you have this person who is particularly probably involved in idol worship. So she is this unpure, unclean Gentile person by birth and by culture. Also, if you don't know, the gospel in God's sovereign plan was announced to the Jews first in Israel and then later to the Gentiles. So Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He was meant to be their king. And the Jews were the first to be given the opportunity to, to follow God and receive his kingdom. And so most of his ministry, if you read the gospels and the disciples' ministry, most of that is to the Jews. And then there's a few exceptions where Gentiles kind of come into the picture. Later, we know, like in the book of Acts, uh, the mission to the Gentiles really picks up and begins there. When Jesus says the difficult statement, let the children be fed first, presumably the, the Jews or the disciples anyway that are with Jesus, 
for it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, which was a typical way for the Jews to refer to Gentiles. Um, that is not meant, I don't believe, to disparage the woman and to look down on her, but to test the heart of the woman. So you can see Jesus and the disciples doing plenty of things throughout the New Testament to elevate <coughs> women and to elevate uh, Gentiles and, and to bring them worth. But this is a test statement to reveal the woman's heart and to contrast the woman's heart, I believe, with the heart of the Pharisees that we just read about. So what does, when Jesus says, hey, this, I, I'm feeding the, the children right now and uh, what I'm giving to the children is not meant for the dogs, what is her response to that? I love the first two words that she says. They're so telling. She says, yes. What, what you said, Jesus, yes, Lord. You remember what the Pharisees wanted to do? They wanted to look clean in front of everybody. And they wanted to maintain authority. But this woman in those two words is the opposite. Yes, in the, in the presence of these people, Jesus, you're right, I'm unclean Gentile, yes. Lord, a word that means you are my authority, not myself but you. So this woman, contrast this with the Pharisees, this woman who is externally, ceremonially unclean, probably had bacon for breakfast, you know, <laughs> and it, I'm sure kept none of the traditions of the elders of Israel, ironically proves to have a heart that Jesus approves of. Even in those two words, yes, Lord. And Jesus grants her request by healing her daughter. This is how Jesus wants us to come to him. Yes, Lord. Yes, I'm unclean. I acknowledge my sin. That's what the Pharisees have a hard time doing, right? There is something not affecting me from the outside, but there is something in my heart that I acknowledge. Yes, Lord, you are my Lord. And my desire is to submit to your will as my Lord. Now, will you please heal? This is, this is the heart that, that Jesus desires from us. Next little miracle story. And again, there's so much that could be said in those few verses, but we're going to read this last one. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. I love that. He has done all things well. This is kind of, we'll see, this is wrapping up kind of a section of, of the book of Mark. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If the last miracle story was demonstrating the right heart of the woman, I think the right heart that's being demonstrated here is the heart of Jesus. How would the Pharisees 
handle a situation like this. They're in the Decapolis, which is mostly kind of Gentilish territory. Somebody's brought to them for healing. What might their responses be? What might they do? Who knows? But Gentiles brought to you for healing as a Pharisee. No, yeah. You probably wouldn't be there in the first place in, in the Decapolis, but um, you, you want to stay undefiled, <laughs> so you certainly don't do anything nearby to this guy because uh, he's, he's a Gentile, he's unclean. Or if the Pharisees thought that they could actually perform a miracle, then probably the way that they would perform it would be to gather the crowd together and to do some big show so that they could be seen for the good work that they had done. And then they, they would use that situation for their own advantage. But how Jesus handles it, I love it. There, there's so many different ways that Jesus can handle like these miracle situations and ways that he can heal. But look what he does. First of all, he, he does the miracle not to look good. Verse 33 says, taking him aside from the crowd privately. <coughs> takes this guy off to the side. So he's not trying to take advantage of the situation. He, he actually has love and wants to help. Uh, I love this. He, he touches the defiled man. And he's breaking traditions and commands kind of left and right in this. In, in, a, in the most physical kind of way you, you could perform this miracle, he touches the man. He sticks his fingers in the man's ears, which I think... Which were cursed. That's... So they're assuming it's right? cursed ears. And not to mention, that's... Like, to me, that... Uh, on the one hand, I think that's, that's gross, right? But this is how... Like, he doesn't have to do that. Jesus can say a word. Somebody in another city can be healed, right? He sticks his fingers in the guy's ears, and then he's, he spits, and, and some, maybe he spits in his hand, I'm not sure, but he, he touches the guy's tongue, that is also probably what they would see as his cursed part. He touches the guy's tongue, and he doesn't have to perform the miracle this way. And I think, like, this is the opposite extreme to the Pharisees, who were most concerned about physical defilement, and Jesus shows us here that it, it, this is the heart that I want you to have. Forget the material stuff that can't really defile us. This is the heart of compassion. This is the heart of love that I would want you to express for people. And it's such a, a, a physical, touching kind of way to do this. And I think, man, I was reading this earlier today. I was like, uh, this, like, I... I it, it's weird and it seems like kind of gross, like just touching somebody's tongue, but on the other hand, I think I love like I love it so much, I feel like because this is what I would like to be more like. I would like to have this <coughs> heart that isn't concerned with, well, am I am I doing everything right? But my heart of, of love for people and a heart of, of love towards God. Remember the Pharisees, what they were doing when they said, My stuff is Corbin, it's given to God. They're saying, hey, I can make this system kind of work to my advantage, and instead of helping my needy parents, I can use their money for something else that I want to. And all I can do that all within the letter of the law, and everybody's going to think that I'm great. In fact, we would say I can still be a Christian, and I don't have to worry about the needy, because I'm doing all of these other things that are so great. And Jesus 
demonstrating that the demonstrating the intent of the law rises above the physical ceremonial actions and he chooses to love those in need not to take advantage of them because he's showing this is what God actually wants he actually wants a heart that's following him I love Isaiah chapter 1 this is a shortened version what to me God says is the multitude of your sacrifices all these different things that you do I don't delight in the blood of goats and bulls lambs but he says, Here, here's, what I, here's what I do like. Learn to do good. Like, these are things that come out of the heart. Learn to seek justice, to correct oppression, to care, to love, to, to, to love those people who are in need, to bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the widow's cause. That's the heart that God desires. I think it, it really kind of gets to me he's like yes that's 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 what I really want I can be the type of person that's just like get caught up in the well I'm a I'm a one so I'm like well what's the right thing and is this the right thing I just want to kind of follow and be loyal and do do the right thing in every situation it's like man at times that's at the expense of saying how can I just how can I be guided by love so so what how do you yourself how do you come to Jesus do you see the laws of God as something that you can use to make yourself appear good to the people around you if that's the case then maybe make some more laws and add them to it like you could you could look really good um, I, I've done that kind of thing like I've I've thought, oh, I want people to, you know, make sure people know that I'm doing my Bible study, so I'll just have to make sure my Bible's open when this person <laughs> walks by or whatever. And I don't want to look good. Um, I've prayed probably in order that somebody might think that, wow, he's a good prayer. He, he really is, is holy. Um, or there was a time, I, I give more than 10%, and man, this is, gonna, this is really impressive. Look, look what I'm doing. I think, man, those things aren't bad. It's my heart that's bad in those things. I should probably be reading God's word. It's good to pray. It's good to give generously. But it's like, man, my heart could go so wrong in those. I think, what are some of those other things like that are good? Do you, I think people, a lot of people dress up for church, right? And there can be a good heart behind that, and there can be a wrong heart behind that, if you think about that, right? Um, do you refrain from drinking alcohol? There can be a really good heart behind that, and there can be a not-so-good heart behind that. Do you not watch rated R movies? There can be a good reason for that or not. Maybe you don't watch TV at all, okay? That, that can be a, a good thing. You, maybe you serve food once a month at a homeless shelter. That, that, can be, that can be a good tradition that you form, but those might all be good traditions. It just depends on your heart behind those things. Why are you doing those things? Do they help you to love God and express your heart of love to Him? Does it help you to love your neighbor as yourself? So, do you use the law in that way? How do you approach God? Um, or, this one seems even more uh, sinister. Do you ever try to justify your lack of love for other people by kind of using Scripture to your advantage to do so? Like, that's kind of what the, the Corbin uh, tradition was doing. I'll give you an example. Well, 
the Bible says the poor will always be among you, so I guess I can't really do anything to fix the problem, so I don't have to give to this poor person. Or, hey, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat, so I guess you're just not going to be able to eat today. because and, and we use Scripture somehow to get out of loving people, right? Um, I've probably said those things before. Or, or I've thought to myself, Mary Beth and I are considering how are we going to care for our aging parents in the long haul? And I think to myself, well, I'm serving the Lord here in California, and I don't, I don't want to mess up my life of serving, of serving God to take care of them. And it's like, I wonder, like, <coughs> am, I, am I honoring my parents? Am I, am I loving my parents with that kind of attitude? Or am I just kind of using Scripture to kind of go along the route of life that I want to go along? I think when it comes to the commandments of God and traditions, we have to examine our hearts in all of these things. Isn't it crazy that we can use like the shell of Christianity to accomplish even our own evil purposes within that? What does God want from us? Not that misuse of his commands, but he wants us to say like the Syrophoenician woman, yes, Lord, yes, I'm I come up lacking in my heart. Sin isn't around me, it's in me. I need your healing from, from you. You're on the outside. I need that in my life. I, I publicly acknowledge my own sin. I don't just try to make myself look good. And Lord, you have the authority. Some of you will walk away tonight thinking, well, if all God cares about is the heart, then as long as I'm good-hearted, I can just come do what I want, and I can break some of his commands. No, no, no. That's, we're talking about, the, remember, there's a difference between the traditions of, of man and the commandment and commandments of God. And God does say, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the traditions <coughs> kind of come and go, but the commandments of God, the New Testament believer, is still not to break. And Jesus is our Lord, so Jesus can tell us what to do, and we ought to do those things because he is our Lord. And if you love your Lord, then you do the things that... Um, would please him. You don't twist the words to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. I think the response that God wants from us is demonstrated in verse 25. It says, she fell, at, she fell down at his feet. Doesn't that describe like, the great commandment? Mm -hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Like, she was doing what Jesus wanted and saying, yes, Lord. And Jesus is very gracious to that kind of a heart toward him. You think of the deaf man, this dude, he can't hear, he can barely talk. He's pretty helpless, right? He can't even approach Jesus, it seems, on his own. It looks like his friends kind of brought him to Jesus. He literally couldn't even honor Jesus with his lips, right? He, because he, he is unable to speak in that way. The Pharisees see that kind of a helpless person and they begin to justify using God's laws why they don't have to deal with that kind of needy person and still they can look spiritual and do whatever they want. The person who understands the intent of the law, that the purpose of heart of God's commands, probably sees himself or herself as that helpless person, right? saying, God, only you can change me. This is, I'll just, let me close in prayer and just pray.
pray without it. I put my notes here. Pray with me. God, only you can, can change us. We acknowledge our, our sin uh, openly. Would you help us to do so? It is not something that just affects us. That it is something that happens to us. But we acknowledge that that is, that is oftentimes in our heart. And God, is only because of your grace, because you first loved me, that I can have any response of obedience to you. Um, God, would you be the Lord of my life? Would you be the Lord of our lives? Would you change not just our actions, but would you change our heart? Help us, God, not to say, I have done everything right, but to look at Jesus and say, He has done all things well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.